Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome to the Budget-Minded Traveler Podcast. Your source for the tips and tactics that will inspire and equip you to travel the world. And the best part? It won't break your bank. And now, the budget-minded traveler herself and your host, Jackie LaLainen. Oh my gosh. Hello. Hi, you guys. How are you? I know it's been so long and this is the weirdest thing because you guys, okay, it's been about two months. It's been over two months um, since I posted my last podcast and so many of you have come through asking me, when's the next one going to be posted? Are you still doing podcasts? We miss the podcast, et cetera, et cetera. Some of you have been saying how you've been re-listening to the to your favorite episodes just to to fill the time. And you guys, I can't even tell you how much that means to me. It's absolutely amazing. And this is so weird because you know that when podcasting, I'm literally sitting in a room by myself right now. But I know you guys are out there because you've really shown up in the last couple of months to express, you know, how much you missed the show. And so I know you're there. I know you're listening. And so I'm really thankful that you are still there um, to continue listening. And no, I am not done podcasting. Uh, We are back. And this is a super special episode. Um, I have a very, very, very special guest today that we will get to in just a minute. But um, I just wanted to say I wanted to apologize for the break without warning you. Um, I actually didn't really know it was coming either. It just sort of happened. There have just been some things in my life that I have had to tend to. And so the break from the podcast was a result of that. But again, thank you so much to everybody who has expressed concern. I love it. It's amazing. Especially on Instagram. I've been able to connect with you a lot on Instagram. If you guys don't follow me there, check it out. I'm at at Traveling Jackie. It's pretty fun. Um, Thank you so much for the engagement there. And I have a lot of... This is what I get for for not talking to you for two months. There are some things that I need to update you with. um, Just some news. First of all, if you haven't joined the BMT community on Facebook yet. It is a group, a separate group from the Facebook page, and it is incredible. And it has turned out to be a great place for all of you guys to sort of ask questions to each other and offer advice about travel. And it's been an amazing resource. You guys are full of incredible information. So thank you to those of you who have been uh, participating in that. And if you haven't joined yet, you can find it at facebook.com slash groups slash the BMT community, or you can just go to the BMT Facebook page and there's a link right there on the top for you. Um, second of all, I have been updating my newsletter lately. And so if you aren't subscribed to the newsletter yet, there are, I think, five, four or five, I don't even know, free gifts upon subscription. If you are already part of the newsletter, then you've already gotten them. So don't worry about that. But if you want some free gifts, they're downloadable PDFs, packing lists, tools, etc go on over to the budgetmindedtraveler.com slash newsletter and sign up. And that's another way to stay connected with me. Um, I'm not saying I'm going to go on another break from the podcast, but at least then you'll be updated with everything that's going on in the BMT world. So check that out. 
I'm also thinking about doing a new kind of style for the podcast. Um, I'm, I'm thinking about doing themes of kind of like seasons. I know that some other podcasts are doing this and I'm going to try it out. So I have some themes coming up that I'm going to do basically like sets of four podcasts. So we're going to see how that goes and try that out for a while. So you can expect that coming up, I guess, throughout the fall. And we're talking themes like long-term travel, um, creating a business out of travel, things like that. And as always, I'm open to ideas when it comes to that. So let me know if you guys have any great ideas for a theme for a season of podcasts. And with that, I can get to our rock star guest for the show who happens to be, wait for it, drum roll, my 82-year-old grandmother. Um, I've actually been wanting to interview her for a long time because she is, I think, one of the huge reasons that I have this wanderlust gene so much. And so we kind of get into that today. And this is definitely a different kind of episode. I mean, yes, the overall theme is still going to be travel. um, But you're going to get to see a little kind of window into my family history through the stories that my grandmother is about to tell. And it's, it's super fun. We definitely go back a few generations to kind of figure out where this travel gene comes from and, and what it used to look like and how it evolved with her and kind of turned into me, who you get to listen to. And so it's definitely a get to know me a little bit more episode kind of through my grandmother. So come with me on this one. We, um, we actually just took a trip, a girl's trip, my mom and my grandma and I through Northern California for a week in an RV, a rented RV. And it was so much fun. It was definitely different. I didn't have to plan anything. They just kind of invited me and said, show up and, you know, this is what we're going to do. And so I did. I showed up like any good starving, wanderlusting traveler (laughs) would do. And we had an amazing week. And one of the best parts was getting to sit around that little collapsible table in the RV with my mom and grandma and just talking about, you know, family history and telling stories and just listening to my grandma talk. And I mean, she's 82 and she's not going anywhere anytime soon. I can guarantee that. But it was very special to do that. I really recommend if any of you have the opportunity to do that, do it and, you know, get out a recorder if you can. This is exactly what I did. I just pulled out my laptop, opened it up and started recording our conversation basically in kind of an interview style. So it's going to be a little bit more impromptu. It's not, you know, I didn't use the microphone, so the audio might not be quite so perfect, but it's very real and raw. And uh, here we go. So imagine us with our wine sitting around the little collapsible table in the RV in a beautiful campground in Gray Eagle, California, which is in the northeastern Sierra is actually not far from where I grew up. And um, we're going to get right into the into the middle of the conversation, basically. So here we go with my grandmother. Her name's Margaret Naka, and um, she's 82. And uh, yeah, here we go. Hi. <laughs> Hello, granddaughter. <laughs> I've actually been wanting to interview for a w- you for a while because you are the only 82-year-old. <laughs> ancient person in your life that I know that travels all the time every year and so I thought that my audience would be interested in that so I wanted to talk to you but first before we get into travel because I think it would help if 
the listeners knew a little bit about you and where you come from so that they understand where this travel bug comes in your life. And I know that you're literally writing a book about it, so we could sit here talking all night about your upbringing. But can you maybe tell a few stories or highlight some part of your past that you think has made an impact on your wanderlust? Well, I expect most everything that happens to you in life makes an impression or leaves you a little bit different from everyone else. Mm-hmm. I was born in England in um, 1932, and my father, when I was three and a half year old, three and a half years old, my father got a job at the old League of Nations in Geneva. So the family packed up and went to live in Geneva, and the family consisted of my mom, my dad, and my mother's mother, my grandmother, maternal grandmother. And we lived in Geneva for about three and a half to four years. And then Hitler came along and screwed everyone's life up. Mm -hmm. And um, we had to leave Switzerland to go back to England because our visas were canceled because the League of Nations was no longer functioning. So back to England we went at the very, very beginning of the war. And I spent the war years in England where we didn't hardly travel at all except by bicycle uh, to the station and take a train. And there were big posters that said, is your journey really necessary? So you were not encouraged to go anywhere. You were supposed to stay home and do whatever you had to do at home and go to school in my case. Mm-hmm. And then uh, the war ticked by. And uh, at the end of the war, my dad, who had served overseas, in um, North Africa um, doing some kind of very secret work that I was never told about because you don't tell little girls with big mouths what your daddy's doing if it's (laughs) it's intelligence work, intelligence work. So Mm -hmm. he came home and they bought a house in England and I changed schools again. That was my sixth school. And And how old were you? At that time I must have been about 12. Sixth school by the time you were 12? Yeah. Well, I've ended up with seven schools in three different countries in two different languages, Mm -hmm. which doesn't set any records, but it was quite a lot (laughs) for a little girl. (laughs) So then dad got the opportunity to join the staff at the the United Nations in New York. So the family packed up again and off we went. Uh, My first airplane ride was in August of 1947, a four-engine prop thing, Pan-American. I think, and we went from London to Shannon Island, Shannon Island to Newfoundland, where we were kept overnight in a barrack, old barracks in uh, Gander, Newfoundland, the old uh, American Army barracks, because New York was having thunderstorms and couldn't be disturbed mm-hmm. because you didn't fly through thunderstorms at all. You don't ever, but you couldn't mm-hmm. then right. especially. So I came to the United States. I was 13, 14 when I got here, so... And I always liked going places when I got to the end of my high school and it was time to decide what do you want to do. I decided I would be an airline hostess or stewardess or whatever you want to call them, uh, attendant, because I would get to go places. And I knew I wanted to go yeah. places. I'd been if enough places. And my mother was the same way. She loved she loved going places. So I applied and found out. It runs in the family, right? <laughs> the only airline I could work for was BOAC, stationed in Canada, British Air, Overseas Airways, uh, which is now BA, British Airways. And they cut the height 
of their stewardesses off at five foot six, and I was five foot eight inches when I graduated from high school. Mm-hmm. So that ended that career, and I never, ever in the whole world thought of being a pilot. Mm-hmm. I mean, that was, apart from Amelia Earhart and a few others, it just wasn't done by women, you know? Yeah. So I shelved that one and thought of a couple of other things I'd like to do and decided I wanted to be a writer, and I, I didn't quite end up mm-hmm. that way, but... That's but you did actually, in, a, in the end, in a way, in the end, I did come full mm. circle, and I was very pleased with that. But uh, I spent most of my working life doing photography, mm-hmm. which had not been an original idea at the very beginning. Uh, it just developed as it yeah. went along. If you pardon the pun. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so, did you actually get overseas at all after you got to the U.S.? Uh, yes. Um, my dad, working at the United Nations, could take his family home for home leave every three years. Mm. So I spent three years in American high school, sophomore, junior, and senior years. And uh, we didn't travel a lot. We, we went around New England and a few places. But at the, in 1950, after I graduated, was his year to return to England. So we all went back to England on home leave, which was for quite most of the summer. And uh, my dad, my mother, and I took probably the, um, the uh, cross-channel boat, you know, the, the boat that takes people back and forth. The ferry? Ferry, yeah. yes, <laughs> the ferry. Uh, we went over and we took the train and we went to Paris. And yeah. uh, I have pictures of us there and remember that trip. We had also gone to Paris, to backtrack a little, in 1940, not to Paris, but to, to France, in 1946, the year after the war and the year before we came to the States. And um, we all went over and we had, by this time, my dad had acquired a car and learned how to drive. And we went over and we toured Brittany and saw a lot of the devastation from mm-hmm. the war, including little rough wooden crosses by the roadside where bodies had been hastily buried and not moved to the graveyards. We went and visited some of the graveyards. We saw some of the towns that had been flattened in the um, last few years of the war. And I remember that quite clearly. Oddly, I didn't write anything about it, and I didn't take any pictures. I don't know why not, but there Mm. you are. Dad did. Dad did that. That He was the one that did that in our family. Mm -hmm. So some of this travel instinct has come from from there, I'm sure. Yeah. And then at what point in your life did you start traveling yearly overseas again? Oh, that came much, much later. Okay. Much, much later. After retirement? Yeah. Well, recently, right? Yes, recently. I mean, I always was ready to go anywhere. One of the things I disliked about Long Island, which is where we lived, Um, was that you can't get anywhere from there without going to a big production and getting off the island first. Mm -hmm. So it kind of limited some things. Um, I I took a few, we took a few local rides around and um, I got married to your grandfather and then in 1950, that was 55, and in 57, I said, we're going to look at this country. I want to see this country I've moved into. Mm-hmm. And so I arranged a trip right across the country, and we drove, mm-hmm. took the dog, left the kid behind, and took the dog. And we went right across uh, 
to Rochester, Niagara Falls, uh, to the Michigan and up the northern route and ended up in Banff mm. and stopped, just stopped wherever we wanted, whenever we wanted. And we came back a more southerly route. And um, that satisfied me very much, but I wanted to do more. Only, you know, you can't always do what you want to do. Well, you do. <laughs> Not all of us get away with it. I like to it. think I do. Yeah. And um, I guess I've always wanted to travel. I've always been interested in mm-hmm. anything else that's going on. I was interested to see this amazing country. Yeah. Then, you know, being married and having children and a limited budget kind of tends to hold you in one place, even though you're itching to go somewhere else. We did little trips here and there and... Um, Time ticked by, and then I got yeah. involved in other things. And, yeah. and then finally I retired, and uh, I was introduced to um, through a neighbor to a person she knows who planned garden tours. And because gardening's always been one of my loves of life, right. I just love getting down in the dirt and playing. And um, so I was very interested in this uh, trip and decided to go on it and that was in 2004 what was the first one where did you go we went to devon and cornwall in england two places i had never been because Mm -hmm. well i was born in the north of england and i lived just south of london all through the war we didn't travel is your journey really necessary no it wasn't so we didn't go all the beaches were barricaded we couldn't possibly have gone to devon and sat on the beach and because they were all rolled up, barricaded, and, and um, full of roll, barbed wire and stuff yeah. like that for the war purposes. So we went very few places during the war. But that trip uh, back to England was the first time we went back once we left. But then I went to on this – I'm trying to think if I – yes, in, in two, 2002, my cousin, one of my second cousins, was having a celebration, and my – Paul, your your Mm -hmm. grandfather Paul and I went for the um, this big celebration and stayed with my cousins. That is the one and only time I got him out of the country. I don't think I went with you. You actually went with me. I don't know if he'll do it again, but he was quite mystified. I remember the first thing he said when we went in a little tiny church that I used to know as a child, and he looked down. He said. The date on this church is 1066. (laughs) (laughs) Everything's old. Everything's old in England. (laughs) But, um, yeah, so that that was one. And I went back to England a couple of times before that, but mostly going back because we still had family and friends there. Mm -hmm. Now there is hardly anyone left. I mean, there's a couple I'm very close to. I think of them as adopted cousins in the north of England, and there's a school friend in the south of England who is not in great shape. Mm-hmm. There's, you know, who do I go back to? So now I go on these garden tours. So that's what this was, was a tour of gardens in Devon and Cornwall. And we had such a good time, I decided to go again, and we went to Provence. Well, my friends were going. And I'm driving along one day with my husband, and I said, I wish I could go to France with the girls, meaning Esther and Leah. Yeah. And he said, well, why don't you go? So I said, I suppose I could. Yeah, why not? <laughs> Two yes. months, I, I, yes. I think, I don't know, six weeks, something like that, before they left, and I had to get everything together and write and pay for the dinner. And these were very, very nice tours. I mean, they were 
upscale. Definitely. Yeah. We stayed in the most marvelous hotels and B&Bs and, and had these wonderful dinners out. And England's much better with its food than it used to be, I can tell you that. And uh, I just had a, had a wonderful time. And uh, we went, the, the second tour was the Provence tour. And I was on my own. And we went all around Provence and ended up in Nice. And so I saw little bits of that that I had never seen before. And it got catching. And then another year, up came a tour to uh, Holland and Belgium. So off I went again and uh, did the Holland and Belgium tour. And another one, he asked, where would you like to go? And, you know, one of the things he asks his clients, you know, then he'll fix up a tour. He put together a tour of the north of, Eng north of England, which was fabulous because born there, but hardly knew any of it. But I knew of it because my mother talked. So we went and we, we flew into Manchester and we bust from there uh, through Yorkshire and uh, all made a big tour all around, ended up in the Lake District, which is just wonderful, and um, toured back to that, through that way. So I was within a few miles of where I was born. Right. And uh, that, that was very interesting to me. Let's see what was the next one we did. Oh, then Italy came up. Well, good grief. I wasn't going to miss Italy. No. So, yeah, yeah, open the bank account and scrape a little more out. And um, and then what was the one after Italy? Portugal, mm -hmm. I guess. Oh, maybe there was another. There was another one to England. That's right. Then last year it was Portugal. And this, then it, later on last year, it was Yosemite with your mom. Mm -hmm. And this year, here we are. I know. So uh, we probably should mention this. We're sitting <laughs> in an RV camper right yeah, now. Right. <laughs> In a campground in, um, where are we? Gray Eagle. Uh, Gray Eagle, Gray California. Eagle, California. In yeah. the northern Sierras, yeah. And um, we figured what better time than the present, right? <laughs> I Get do, out the computer. <laughs> I do have to admire you because you are doing what I wish I could have done or would have done had there been any way I could do it. Mm -hmm. But first of all, the jobs and works and projects that you have now didn't exist. Right. I mean... When I was young, yeah. yeah. Most girls, when we graduated from high school in 1950, you became a secretary, which took going to secretarial school and learning short-handed typing. You could be a telephone operator, which almost all of them did, who didn't really want to go anywhere but had mm -hmm. to do something. Mm -hmm. um, you could be a professional, like a nurse, and if you were really bright and your daddy had enough money, you could go to school to be a doctor. And, you know, jobs like that. But basically, most of us girls ended up doing secretarial work. So I went to work for a newspaper because I intended to be a journalist. Right. Yeah. And uh, I went to Long Island Newsday. And it's a wonderful paper. And it was at that time. But it was, I wasn't ready for it. It was too much for me. You know, I did do some writing. I, I did feature stories. And I did uh, various other little jobs and, and was writing there. But it didn't seem like it was quite what I thought it was going to be. So I kind of left that. Tried being a, a secretary because my girlfriends were secretaries. That was disastrous. That was terrible. There was I don't know who hated it most, me or the, or the guy I was working for. And then I went to, got a job in a camera shop. I walked into the camera shop and asked for a job. And they told me no. And the guy went downstairs and I asked for with boss and he was there. And he said, yeah, I guess we could use you. So that's how I got a job. Nice. <laughs> 
That's what I used to do. I mean, I would yeah. go to the place I wanted to work and ask for a job. Yeah, well, <laughs> it works brilliantly. Why should I go shovel toothpaste across a counter in a five and ten when I wasn't interested in toothpaste? Mm -hmm. I thought, well, I'm going to try for something that interests me. So that's how I got into photography, and I liked it so well that uh, I asked my dad if I could go to photography school, and I went at night to downtown New York um, to the German school. School of Professional Photography, and then I started looking for a job in actual photography rather than in photographic products like the camera shop sold. So um, I went to uh, work. For, I found a one of the photographers, marched in and asked for a job. And again, I got a job and I learned a lot about how he ran his business. And eventually I left there and I was, that's when I married your grandfather, somewhere around there, and started uh, working a bit of freelance like you're, you're doing or you like you started. Mm -hmm. I did all kinds of jobs for people. And um, somehow or other, I got back into doing things of people. So by this time, I was pregnant and expecting babies. And so when you're expecting babies, you get very hung up on the subject. And um, I had done some photography with, with the man I had worked for first. He had taken me on his jobs. So I had an idea how he worked, even though I didn't press the button on the camera. I set it up for him and I handed him the film and I watched what he did. So I thought, well, hell, I can do that. How do I get some customers? So I went to a maternity shop where I had bought a dress or a we wore the big baggy dresses in those days, you know, and the skirts with the hole cut in the front of them. You would love them. They were, I can see your face. I wish you could see your face. <laughs> and uh, so I, can't. <laughs> I, I walked into this maternity dress shop and asked them if they would like to give a certificate to their expectant mothers for a free portrait of their baby. Baby, baby photography was a big deal in those days. And there were a lot still of is. oh yeah, there's a lot of people were going around to the house doing this mm. thing. But I figured if they could do it, so could I. And sure enough, they thought it was nice, so they gave away these certificates. And by the time I'd had my baby and was able to leave her with somebody and pack up my stuff, I had a list of people, and I did a lot of baby photography. And I read a book and told me how to – somebody – it was a Joe Schneider book. Um, he, he did a lot of children, wrote this book about how to light them and, and what you did. So I took floodlights with me. This was, you know, and rolls of film and, and sheets of film and all this stuff and – um, I was doing quite well at that when eventually we decided that we would leave Long Island and uh, we went to Vermont and that's where the book starts. And, right, right. But I've always wanted to so go places. I've always wanted to go places. We should mention this for the benefit of the listeners. If you're in, if if you do enjoy this podcast episode, you may consider getting the book. <laughs> so, what which year was this? Two thousand. Thirteen. No, we it, well that we we published our books. In the oh, same we published year. our books. Yes, yeah. but that's not that's well, not when the story started. Yes. So two years ago, because this is June yeah. of two thousand fifteen. Yeah. Right. Um, my eighty-year-old grandmother published her first book. She's actually already about to publish her second book, but it's called The Red Brick Pantry, and it's about their story of moving from Long Island to the country in Vermont to run a general store. And it's right. fascinating. Um, so I'll put a link to the book in case anybody's interested. They can um, get it through me, yes. Yeah. I, I have plenty of them. But 
Um, so <laughs> so that that was what moved you to Vermont. Yes. You had the store. I and wanted then... off Long Island because yeah. you couldn't get anywhere because the traffic's mm-hmm. so terrible it takes you all day to get off it. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> how do how can you go anywhere when you're trapped on one? It's, you know. So you go out to the country where there's yeah. no traffic, no people. No but one I, knows what town you live in. But I like it that way. <laughs> well, you're still there, so apparently. Yeah. yeah. Well, I opened my studio. After the, after the store, we spent seven years in the store. Yeah. And after that, by that time, somebody had asked me to photograph a wedding, and that's all it took. Uh, in February of 67, I did a, a wedding, photo- photographed a small wedding. I did 14 weddings that year. Mm-hmm. I don't know where they crawled out the woodwork and hit me. I don't know. All of a sudden, I was in business, yeah. and I, had a, I, had, I said, I can't keep doing it like this. I need a studio. So we... we yeah. Set up a studio, and that, that was that became my career. After all that this. fiddling and fuddling around, that's how I got into my career. I love how entrepreneurial you are. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's a lot of you and me in each other. Um, I think you would be me if you were in this generation. Oh, definitely, definitely. I said, <laughs> you would be doing this. You would be hosting a podcast. You I, would be a travel journalist. Yes, like, absolutely. You'd have your you blogs. Know, you, you couldn't do it. Like I said, there yeah. was certain, my father said, if you want to go to college and you know what you want to do and you're serious about it, I will send you to college. This is 1950, you know. But I didn't want any more schools. I'd been to seven schools. I don't want to go again. Yeah. I wanted to just get on with some part of my life. And um, it took a while, but I finally found what I wanted and did it for yeah. all those years from till, till I retired in 1998. And um, I'd photographed hundreds of weddings, thousands of high school seniors, dozens and dozens of family groups, uncountable passports, some dog <laughs> photography, <laughs> a little bit of everything. But I also did aerial photography. Because here's the kicker. What happened? Go ahead. <laughs> what happened? Well, that, that first idea that you put on the back burner. I know. It's just incredible how things come around and around. Well, after your grandfather and I went our different ways, I met another nice gentleman. And we were neither of us in a hurry to get married, but we were very compatible and things worked out well. And one day, well, I started by my saying, I want to go on a a sail, a learn to sail cruise. So he went with me. I didn't know at the time he couldn't swim, but I was beside the point. <laughs> it really wasn't a matter. It's something I didn't know about him. Anyway, we tooled off to uh, St. Thomas with another couple of friends who wanted to learn to sail a big sailing boat. I mean, a really big, a 38, 40 foot, something like that. And we had a wonderful week while I did my thing because I've always wanted to sail and never had much opportunity because of the lifestyle I had and the family I had. So... Um, he, he made this crazy remark, and he said, uh, I'm not that fond of the sailing and that, but if that doesn't work, I'm going to learn to fly. And I said, yes, yeah, sure, you know, forget it, about it. Well, done if about six months or a year later, he suddenly says, guess what I did? He called, called me up, get what I did today. I said, I've no idea. What did you do today besides your job? And he said, I took a flying lesson. Dead silence. Like, <laughs> huh? You did? Yes. I'm, he says, actually, it was a, a, a demonstration, but he says, I'll take my first lesson next week. Well, he, it, it's a disease. Let me tell you, it's a disease. He caught the disease. He had flying bug disease. 
And I couldn't talk to him about anything else, and I couldn't hear anything else from him. Every time a little drone in the sky came over, look at that, that's a so-and-so, you know? And um, we started touring airports. We saw planes on the ground. We saw planes in the air. We saw big planes, little planes. To me, they all looked much alike, but some had wings high up and some had wings low down, (laughs) and some had lots of engines. But the ones he was interested in had only one engine and were, you know private pilot planes. And I finally said, I have to know something about this. I can't talk to this man anymore. So I bought a book on flying. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Where was I going? I read it on a plane. Maybe I was coming out to see your mom. I don't know. I was going somewhere and I read this book. When I got home, I said to him, um, what's an aileron? He says, why do you want to know that? <laughs> I said, because I've been reading about flying because I can't talk to you about anything else. And he said, oh, well, you know, and he told me what it was, the thing on the wing, the flap on the wing that helps you turn and and all this stuff. And uh, then he came up to visit and was in Vermont. And we went, he says, I want to take a a flying lesson. So we went to the uh, local airport and I knew the guy that ran it and I jumped in the plane with him back and I was back seated while he took a flying lesson. And that was it. I had to do it. I just, I had to do it. I don't like machinery. I'm not a mechanic. I don't like the smell of gasoline. But I started taking lessons in propelling this aluminum tin can into the sky all by myself. And I finally did it. But did you have a plane at one point? I did, yes. Um, we got a little tired of renting the unreliable uh, plane that lived at Middlebury Airport and was not always available when you wanted it. And I met, I took the uh, ground school course, which is quite extensive to pass an FAA exam, which is quite strong, actually, and um, difficult, but not if you, you know, not if you study. And I, mm-hmm. I haven't studied anything since I was in high school. I don't even know. I'm in my 50s now. I don't even know if I can learn So you were in your 50s. I was going to ask, how old yeah, were you? I was you? in my 50s when I learned to fly. Yeah, yes. your pilot's license. And... Um, so I, I, in this class of ground school class, I met a young man uh, and who wanted a partner in a plane, and I couldn't afford a whole plane either. And so the two of us started looking for a plane, and we went to. One day we found one that he thought. Well, I left him to find it. My my flight instructor asked me. He says, "What kind of plane do you want, Maggie?" I said, "I want a red one." <laughs> that was That's not really quite what, what he had in mind. But we ended up. We took we took a ride. Uh, my partner's name was Will, and he was a lovely partner. He he just loved doing the mechanical crap, like changing oil and messing about with things like that. And anyway, we went. We drove to New Hampshire to Concord and looked at this beautiful plane. It was. Um, about 14 years old, which is not old for a plane. You mm-hmm. keep them going. That's what you do. And it was blue and white and very pretty. And we said, yeah, okay, we'll have it. And somehow or other, we got it to, to Middlebury. I think they had to fly it over there. And we picked it up and we made our purchase. And we continued our uh, flight training in that plane, Will and I together. And he got his license just a few months before I got mine. And Paul also got his in Massachusetts earlier the same year. So there we were. We had licenses and uh, and, and a lot of fun out of it, I must say. I didn't didn't fly for long or a Mm -hmm. lot. Did you... Take us for a ride. I did. I, I was wondering it. if you yeah, remember. How that. old was I? 
it's quite small. Um, because I, I don't do think I would do that now. <laughs> I don't think well, I would no, go on that plane now. Oh, but, you wouldn't? Oh my gosh, I hate flying. Oh, especially well, the little planes. Well, what are you doing in this business then? Know, you, gotta, right? you can't walk to all these places. Well, no, um, your mom, dad, and you and your brother came to visit, yeah. and uh, I couldn't take you all at once, but I had got my license by yeah. then, and I took your mom and you and uh, your brother. You, we stuck you in the back seat, and I don't know. You didn't I complain. I remember it. But your, your brother went to sleep. That's how excited oh, he was. Daryl. Of course he did. <laughs> and I took you for a flight, and then I came down, and then I took your dad for a flight. And he nice. did not go to sleep. <laughs> but I couldn't oh, take you gosh. all at once. But that was That's one so of the highlights funny. of my life. I mean, imagine taking your grandchildren and your daughter for a flight. It was, it was wonderful. It was worth it all. I regret not a penny of it, nor a moment of agony that went into it. It's it's. it's terribly nerve-wracking thing i was much too old it would have been much easier when i was 20 <laughs> but you did it yeah. but uh and as your mom said one day when i had said now i think i've retired from it i sold my half of the plane and um mm -hmm. you know i just didn't do it anymore mm -hmm. and and your mom said well you know you can look up at a plane and say hmm, been there done that yeah and i, I kind of like that that's attitude. true it was a goal that you had and you accomplished it was a goal it. that i had and that was my college education i always figured that um and pouring more wine i think they can hear it yeah <laughs> pour okay. me some. I'm <laughs> let's get going on this thing here <laughs> all right <laughs> oh, so much for the wine <laughs> so anywhere what else do you want to know <laughs> Where are we on this mishmash yeah. of my life? Well, maybe let's so let's get back to the the travel aspect of it. Well, I've so. talked about me, but we should go back another generation to your great grandmother. So that's that's what we did. You're my mother. My mother yeah, is my is great, great grandmother. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Her her mother, my grandmother. Oh, I'm going to call Nana because that's all I that's ever call okay. her. She was Margaret, but I'm she was big Margaret. I was little Margaret, even when I could put her in my pocket. But um, <laughs> she married a Jack Danson, and Jack liked going places. Jack was not going to get stuck in the family tradition of going down pits, which means coal mining. The oh. north of England is coal mining. Well, all over England, there are mines of one kind or another, and uh, mostly coal in the north and some coal in the south. But he had been from a family of coal mining. That's what they did. As soon as the boys got old enough, down pits they went, mm -hmm. and a lot of them didn't make it. So my grandfather Jack said no way was he going down mines, down pits is what they put it. And he got a job working overseas somewhere in India and Africa. He worked all over the place doing some kind of, of engineering for water. But oddly enough, this water engineering took him down mines to get the water out of mines. He, he engineered ways of hmm. pumping water out of mines. That's about all I can tell you. I'm a bit vague on the details. There's no one here I can ask right now. But what I know of it is in this next book that's coming up about Jacks. Um, but he really didn't want to stay home. He wanted to travel. He liked going places, and he took these jobs all over the place. And my grandmother, when she could, followed him, um, especially if it was going to be somewhere halfway nice. They went to India. And when they went to India, my mother was about two or so, and they had their own bungalow, and they had servants, and they had an ayah who took care of the baby, and they had a punkawala who flapped the thing that made you keep cool, and they had cooks and all the uh, 
my grandmother was in seventh heaven. She was the lady of the manor and all these people. And my grandfather went off to work every day in the mines or whatever he was doing and went and did it. And Nana ruled supreme. But my mother got uh, malaria and had to be taken back to England. So her mother, Nana, took her back to England and left her with her sister, my mother's Auntie Ada, and then went back to India and eventually came home. I know it, this was not flying. This was a long Boat chip wow. trip. I mean, these they went. They took the boat from England all the way around. Yeah, they went. To, mm-hmm. They went. I don't know where exactly they did. Mother doesn't remember because she was too young. But we know she went. She went to India. She was brought back by her mother, left with her aunt, and mother went back to India. And eventually, when Jack's job was over or the mm-hmm. contract work was finished, they came back to England and. Uh, Later on, when my mother was, uh, he was, she, mom said he was not home a lot. He loved to travel. So maybe that's where some of the gene comes mm-hmm. from. But he was always taking jobs overseas somewhere. And um, eventually, when my mother was about 12, 13, somewhere in there, they went to South Africa. And uh, oh, I guess she was about 14. Yes, I remember her saying that. When they got there, there was no bungalow and no servants and nothing. There was a tent on the veldt near where my grandpa was working with some men. And uh, there was one tent they lived in during the day and one tent they went to bed in at night. And my grandmother was not very happy. But she did finally get a, a house through somebody they knew. And mother was put into school because you're not allowed to do nothing when you're 14. I, I've been there. I know about that. So mom went to school and um, she spent about two or three years there. And she was with the um, Girl Guides or Girl Scouts, if you want to call them that. And they went on a camping trip and uh, she said she was very ill. And when they got her home, she was running high fevers. It was a return of the malaria. Once Mm -hmm. you've got it in your body, it Mm -hmm. stays. So the doctors told my grandmother, you've got to take her back to, to a cooler place. No. Take her back to England. She cannot stay here. It is not the right climate for her. So my grandmother took mother home and told my grandfather that his job was getting close to the end. He said, she said, come home with us. Well, no, I'll just finish this job and you go home and I'll be along in a month or two or three. And then another job came along. Well, I'll just take this job. And by this time, he wasn't feeling well. And the upshot is that he died in South Africa and never got home. So I left my mother and my grandmother at at my grandmother's sister's house at Christmas, just before Christmas with... Oh my you know, gosh! And and that was That's the crazy. yeah, it was I the end of that. yeah, that was the end of that business. And it's wow. all in the next book, which right? Is, right, which, which is your book. It's I for know, you. I it's all about read. these I things. Can't wait. And so mother was in, um, finished her growing up in um, good old Burnley, Lancashire, where she started out. And you've been there, yes. I've been there, yes. And that's where she met my dad and taught him, that's where she taught him shorthand in an English high school, uh, night school class. Um, She taught him shorthand and he got the job at the League of Nations and off we went again. Mm -hmm. There you are. Yeah. So probably... Hmm. I got my wanderlust from my mother and her father. Yeah. Will that I do? <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> Is that, that's the best I can tell you. Where my grandpa got it, I don't know. Maybe somebody else had it but never was able to do anything about it. The thing know? is, you have it and you act upon it. 
even though you're 82, who cares, right? You go every year. Well, well I, domestically I, or internationally, I should matter. go wherever I want as long as I can. Yeah, exactly. See, that's the spirit. I mean, that, <laughs> I, you know, all those years of small children and uh, uh, the store and business and, and yeah, you know, right. limited finances, right. I couldn't do it. Okay, so now is your time. Now is my time. And now yeah. you're going. And I'm doing it, yeah. So would you give that sort of advice to other? What if there were people who hadn't traveled so much, they're waiting for retirement to travel? Because that's like most of the United States. Yeah, um, yeah. What kind of advice would you give to them? Well, do what you want as soon as you can. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I mean, what else can I say? I you know, it. if you're able to as go and you, you want to go mm-hmm. and you can afford to go, and if you can't afford to go, do it the way you're doing it, budget-minded. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> you know, I mean, right. those trips to Europe that I went on the garden tours were not budget-minded mm-hmm. tours. Right. But I figured I'd earned it. Uh, I was <laughs> worth it, and I was jolly well going to have some yes. of the things I wanted I out of it. life. And I don't regret any of it. They're, they were they were fun tour trips. We saw all kinds of. We didn't just look at gardens. I mean, you feel mm-hmm. the whole country when you're there. And um, oh, I I could keep on doing them every year, but and you will, right? Where's the next one? I have no idea. <laughs> oh, well, the next trip is to um, Arizona for for a, a wedding. <laughs> oh, for you, right? For me, yeah. yes. No, I don't know if I'm going on any. I don't know. I'll yeah. see what happens if I go in any more. As long as I'm able to and uh, not too big a drag on people, I'll go do what I, mm-hmm. whatever I can. Well, I'm glad that you came out to California and that we could do this camping trip. Oh, in it's RV. been wonderful. <laughs> One, I, it's ridiculous that you have to wait to be 80 years old to be taking camping. <laughs> I mean, I, I think of my friends who all went camping because well, their circumstances were different. You know, right, they had right, the right. opportunity mm-hmm. and and the people to go with and and. I didn't. Circumstances weren't right. But I, it's been great fun. Mm-hmm. It's It's been wonderful. Mm-hmm. I, I'm not saying I'm not ready to go home and, and uh, have a rest and fire up my engines again and see what comes next. Awesome. I love it. Well, thank you well, you're for a, the interview. You're <laughs> a bright spark, and I'm proud of you. And thank I just you. love it. I'm living <laughs> vicariously through you. So. Yeah, you're living your own travels as well, which is well, what I always yes, push. Yes, you know. yes. Life's too short to be to, to live vicariously. Oh, it is. It, well, so. yes, but if you can't do every, I can't go running off like you are somewhere else every week. I don't think <laughs> I don't think I could handle it at this point. But I could have when I was your age. Yes. Yes. Okay, I'll, I'll take care of it for us. Then. You take care of it okay. for us. That's a girl. There you have it. My interview with my 82-year-old grandmother is finally complete. Um, and like I said, I am going to link, um, I'm going to put a link on the show notes page to her book that she wrote. It's called The Red Brick Pantry. And uh, if you if you liked the stories that she told today, you will love the book. It's great. Uh, I really did enjoy reading it. I'm probably a little bit biased because it's about my family. But uh, if you want a good fun read about a real family in the country in Vermont, then look it up. You can find that on the show notes page, which is going to be at thebudgetmindedtraveler.com slash 48. And that's it for today. So thank you guys so much for tuning in and for bearing with me, learning a little bit about my family today, a little bit more about me, and I hope you enjoyed it. So I'll catch you guys next time. I promise there will be a next time. I'll see you soon. 
Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.